0: Okay, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21. We have just two more chapters in Revelation to get through, which in a way is exciting, but in a way I'm uh, glad I'm not glad that it's ending. We've had uh, some great studies through the book of Revelation. So Revelation chapter 21, we're going to read just the first, Couple of verses. Let's read one through eight as we start this chapter. One through eight. Don't know that we'll get all the way through those, but uh, we'll start with those. So, Revelation chapter twenty-one, one through eight. This is John. This is a new vision that he receives, and so he starts in verse one. He says this: "And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem." For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We'll stop there. Let's take a minute and pray, and then we'll look at our message this morning. Lord God, We are weak and sinful and finite creatures. Our understanding is limited to our experience, and so many things that you have given us in your word are difficult for us to grasp. And yet, Lord, you've made it simple in many ways for us to see what you want us to see, and you've given us everything that you want us to understand. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our understanding as we look at your word today. Pray that you would guide us by your spirit. And as we worship you in spirit and in truth, may your truth pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the thoughts and intents of our heart. Lord, we thank you that you know each one of us, you know what we need, and you know how to teach each one of us. So do your work today, I pray. Father, we pray that you would fill me now with your strength. Give me your spirit in fullness and give me wisdom and the words to speak so that your word might be proclaimed today. And Lord, may we learn together and be encouraged together by what you've given us in this passage. And we thank you for what you're going to do. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. As we get to Revelation chapter 21, we kind of begin a new section of the book of Revelation. If you want to divide it up into three main sections, we have the first three chapters where we're introduced to the glorified Lord in in chapter 1, and then in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is speaking to the seven churches, and to all the churches, really, in those passages. And so we have Jesus Christ, the Lord of the churches, in those three chapters. Then as you get to chapter 4 through chapter 15 and chapter 4 and 5, we're introduced into the throne room of God. We see God on his throne and the worship of heaven in chapter 4 and chapter 5. We are again reintroduced to Christ in heaven in the throne room of God as he takes the scroll and starts to open it. And then verses or chapter 16 through 18 are the, the judgments of Christ during the tribulation period. 19 and 20 rounds out that that section. So really, chapter four through 20, we are introduced to Jesus as the lion, if you will. He is the king and the judge in those chapters through the tribulation and into the millennial kingdom. And then as we begin chapter 21 here, we are beyond the millennial kingdom now. And really, we are beyond what we would call history. Because with eternity, there is no time. And chapter 21 begins what we would call eternity. Now, it's hard to call it eternity because eternity exists before and after. There's no beginning. There's no end. It exists in God, who is the self-existent one. And yet this is for us as people, the beginning of an era of eternity, because we did not exist before. But anyways, so chapter 21 and chapter 22 focus on Christ as the Lamb among believers. And all of this takes place after his millennial kingdom in the heavenly kingdom, which will continue forever. So here we start this new section. And in, um, in Barnhouse, I'm sorry, Barnhouse says this, in this chapter, we see that the history of time is finished. The history of eternity is about to begin. I don't know that it's really history, because history has a beginning and an ending. But for us specifically, as believers, we will come through the 1,000 years of Christ's millennial kingdom. We saw that in chapter 19 and 20. And then this begins eternity for us. This is the eternal kingdom of Christ that will go on forever. This is where we will exist with Christ with glorified bodies forever in the new kingdom. And all believers will now be finally glorified. Those who were humans during the millennial kingdom are glorified now. That part of life is over. Now it is eternal life in Christ to its fullest Now, what we see are some changes. And the biggest change that we're going to read about, especially here at the beginning of chapter 21, is creation. There is a major change in creation. And that is what John is referring to as we start verse 1. And John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Let me remind you that... What we're studying here in the book of Revelation is what Jesus gave to John himself in visions and in Revelation. But he gave it to him so that we might know what is to come. Okay, What we read in Revelation all through this book is not science fiction. It's not a fantasy tale. This will actually happen. Okay? Everything that we've studied, the tribulation period, the exaltation of Christ, him coming back at the rapture, him coming back at the second coming, The regathering of Israel into their country, the glorification of Christ and his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years, and then the 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 battles even that we saw, the battle of Armageddon, that battle called Gog and Magog at the end of the millennial kingdom, all of that are real events that will happen, okay? And so what we see here is something that will truly happen, and that's how we have to look at it. It's not just some nice idea That, oh, you know, it's a great story, it encourages us. No, this is what our future is. This is our destiny, if you will, if you are a believer. Because this is talking about what we will experience as God prepares us and prepares the world for his eternal kingdom. And so John says that we have a new heaven and a new earth. In this new creation that God will change or actually recreate, we're going to see several major differences from life on earth as we know it now. And you'll see these as we read through chapter 21. We won't get to all of these, but let me just give you a quick list of what we will see the changes that are being made by God. Number one, and this is probably the greatest, is that there will be a total absence of sin. Sin will be completely eradicated at that point, and there will be no more influence of sin at all and Satan will be gone as well. So Satan and sin, out of the picture. That's going to be a huge improvement. Number two, there's going to be a new capital for the earth, and we'll read about New Jerusalem in verse 2. We read that this morning. And the New Jerusalem is actually not going to be on earth, but it will come down out of heaven and will sit above the earth. That's a big change as well. Number three, there will be a complete change in the law of gravity, as it applies to us, because in glorified bodies we will not be affected as we are now by gravity. In fact, we will be able to travel as the angels do, as Christ does, through space, and we're going to actually traverse between the new earth and the new Jerusalem, which will be in the sky. Okay, so gravity will be different to some degree. Um, there will We will have uh, no sun. The sun will be gone. Sun, moon, and stars, well, there's no need for them because in the eternal kingdom... God himself will be the light that sheds light on all of the universe and all all, uh, that is in existence. There also will be no sea, and we'll read that in this passage as well. It's in verse 1. And then all believers from all times, regardless of the period in which they lived on the earth and when they were saved, will be brought together in Jesus Christ as a glorified holy people, who will at that point inherit the fullness of the ultimate blessings of eternal life. And they will all live together in God's newly created heaven and earth. So that is the, if you will, the conglomeration of all the different uh, divisions of believers, okay? And we saw this when we talked about the first resurrection, how there's Old Testament saints, and then there's the church, and then we have the tribulation saints, okay? And then there's going to be millennium saints. So there's all these different saints from different periods in history, but all of them will be joined together in one in the eternal kingdom, at, in, starting at chapter 21. So John gives us a vision of what this new eternal living environment will be for all those who are believers. And he starts in verse 1, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, what that tells us right away is that this present heaven and earth are going to be done away with. God will destroy them. Now, you talk about the end of the world and people are all afraid of the end of the world. Well, here it is. Okay. This is not just the end of this world. This is the beginning of the new world. Okay. You talk about a new world order. Okay. I don't care what man has planned for a new world order. This is God's new world order right here. And this is what we should be looking forward to because this will be a perfect new world and a perfect new order without the influence and, and the corruption that man brings into it. But we have a new earth. and a a new heaven that God will create, that the old ones are destroyed. Now, in Scripture, and I want to talk about the heaven, what we're talking about when God says there's a new earth and a new heaven, that heaven, there are three uh, levels, if you will, of heaven uh, to the Jews and in Scripture that are referenced, okay? There's the first level, which is our atmosphere. That's the sky that the air which we breathe, that's where the clouds exist. Okay, that's the first level of heaven. Beyond that, we have outer space. The sun, moon, and stars exist in what's called the second heaven. Okay, then there's the third heaven. Paul referred to this. He says he was taken up into the third heaven. And this is the throne of God. This is where God dwells. And so when we talk about a new heaven, we're not talking about God's dwelling place. We're talking about the creation part of heaven. The heaven where God exists does not, it's not created. It's not a created place. That has existed as long as God has existed. That is his dwelling place. Any place where God is will be heaven. Okay? And in the, in the final, uh, heavenly kingdom, really it kind of encompasses all of that. But this new heaven that we see here is outer space and our atmosphere that go along with a new earth. Okay? So all of what God created in Genesis chapter 1 will be destroyed, and then God will recreate it all for this eternal kingdom of Christ. Now, the word new here in the Greek is kainos. It doesn't mean necessarily that something that did not exist before. What it means is um, something that is remade in a better quality or better character, okay? So when we talk about a new life, or a new spirit that we have, we are remade in the image of Christ. Our spirit has become new, okay? So it's not something, as far as time is concerned, it is a, and it's not a refreshing, it's not a remodeling, it is a remaking, a recreating. But that's the word in Greek here, is that God is going to recreate the earth in a new way, but it will be in some ways, similar to what we have now, but perfected. Ask me to explain that. I can't beyond that because we won't know exactly what all that encompasses until we get there. And then we're going to be like, oh, okay, I get it now. Oh, this is so much better. All right. So this word new, that's what God is talking about. God has given us something that is brand new in character. It is brand new in quality. And it is perfected at that point. Now, it's not that the original creation was imperfect. And I, I want you to understand this. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we read that God created the earth in six days, we read all the different things that God created each day, and at the end of each day, what did he say? And God saw that it was what? Good. Okay, that word good means not good, better, best. It's okay. In God's language, that word good means it was perfect. It was exactly the way it should have been. So what happened? Well, God created man, put him on the earth. Man was tempted by Satan, and sin was brought to the earth and to mankind. And after man sinned, then a curse was put upon all of creation, And so it was corrupted. Everything that God created was corrupted by sin, by the introduction of sin into creation. And specifically, the sin of mankind contains kind of the nature of that sin. And it has been uh, born along through generation, passed along from generation to generation uh, through mankind. And so it still exists. Remember, we saw even in the millennial kingdom of Christ, There will be people born with a sin nature. Every person that's born will have a sin nature because they are humans, and sin resides in the flesh. But the creation has been corrupted by sin. In Job chapter 15, verse 15, Job says the heavens are not pure in God's sight. It's not just the earth, even the heavens that God created have been corrupted by sin. Isaiah 24 verse 5 adds that the earth is polluted by its inhabitants for they have transgressed God's laws. They have violated his statutes. They broke the everlasting covenant. So you can see how sin has really destroyed what God intended to be exactly good. And so all of that has to be remade because of sin. This present earth, again, even during the millennial kingdom, has this one fatal flaw, which can't be remedied in its present state. And that fatal flaw is sin and the curse of sin. Now, even in the millennial kingdom, remember, Christ reverses much of the curse. Many things will change. Animals will become docile. Plants will no longer be poisonous. There won't be weeds. Things will grow immensely uh, and provide food for the whole world. There will be very little death, except as in judgment. Sickness will be almost non-existent because we have the great physician right there on earth with us, and yet that sin nature still resides in mankind. And so it corrupts the creation. And so creation, in a sense, has to go through the same process that we must go through in order to be purged of the corruption that so that we might live with Christ in eternity. Paul goes into detail in this in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about the resurrection. Not just the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he talks about our resurrection and he says basically in that chapter that as human beings as we're saved, we are given a new spirit, a new uh, a redeemed a uh, a, re, uh, a given new life to our soul. Okay. And so we become new creatures internally as far as our spirit and soul are concerned, but our body hasn't changed. Okay. Did anybody notice that the day after you got saved, all of a sudden you lost all that weight that you were trying to get rid of? You had no more headaches. Nobody ever got sick again. Okay. That, that doesn't happen. We're still stuck in these physical bodies. And the physical bodies are corrupted and they're corrupted because of sin. That won't be fixed until these bodies go away. And the Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die. Why? Because that's the end of this corrupted body, and then we receive a glorified eternal body. Now, if we're saved, that eternal body will be taken up to heaven and we exist and live and rejoice with Christ forever. If we're not saved, then that eternal body that we're given at the second resurrection will, and it's called the second death, actually. We read that in verse 8 here. But that that for unbelievers, that second body, that eternal body, will exist in hell, in the lake of fire, in torment forever. But we are given a new body because this one can't exist forever. It's been corrupted by sin. Sin brought death. So this body has to die to get rid of that tainted body. Okay? So, Uh, creation then has to go through that same process. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, in essence, sin dwells in our flesh, and so the flesh has to go away before the sin goes away. And and, and at the end of chapter 15, there are several verses that talk about the the rapture of the church, the, the, the coming of Christ when he takes his people up, just as we read this morning in 1 Thessalonians 4. Okay, when we shall be changed, but Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15, we shall be changed. He says, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. So that's the ultimate victory for us, and here it's the ultimate victory for the world. God will remake the world, will do away with all of the corrupted creation, and then recreate it perfectly without sin in a way that... We can live in in our eternal bodies. So God's going to give us a totally new Earth with a totally new atmosphere, in totally new solar system as part of a totally new universe. Think about that, everything, brand new. Romans 8:22, Paul says this: "We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now." That's not just people, folks, that's the whole creation. I mean, the whole creation of God is waiting for this remaking that God is going to to fulfill here that we read about in Revelation chapter 21. So we have a whole new earth, totally new atmosphere, totally new outer space, all new planets, all new whatever's going to be out there. We don't know. Maybe it'll be all different from what we see now. But it's God who's going to do that for us. Now, you think, well, the atmosphere is pretty good for us right now, right? Yeah, but this atmosphere is referred to even in Ephesians 2 as the dwelling place of Satan and his, and his angels. It's called the, he's called the prince of the power of the air. This is where Satan and his demons dwell in our atmosphere. Now, they can traverse back and forth to heaven. Job tells us that, that they can go stand before God and accuse the brethren. And Revelation tells us that at one point, God is going to throw them out and confine them to the earth. And that's where the great tribulation begins and the real torment starts to come from Satan. But this is the the atmosphere. This is the realm of Satan that we live in right now. And so God has to purge it all. And he's going to give us something brand new. We have to understand in thinking about that, that this creation, including these bodies, was not ever meant to be forever. These are not permanent. Nothing is permanent, okay? And and you understand that. Nothing in this world, nothing in this creation is permanent. We look up and we see stars in the sky, and yet beyond what we can see, there are stars dying every day. Even the stars were not created to be permanent. David wrote in Psalm 102, verse 25 and 26, he says, Of old you founded the earth, talking about the Lord, obviously, and the heavens are the works of your hands. But even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. So David gives us a peek into what Revelation 21 tells us is going to happen. The heavens are going to be completely destroyed and God will create a new heaven. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah. He says, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Now, I'm going to look at that as a good thing. We won't remember all the bad stuff about this earth when we get to the new heaven and new earth. And that's a good thing. We don't need to remember all the bad stuff about this earth. We don't need to think about the sin that destroyed our lives and that destroyed the creation that we live in. All we will need to think about is the new life we have in Christ forever and the new world that he's given us to live in to rejoice in that new life. So the old heaven and the old earth will be destroyed. God will create a new heavens and a new earth. Now, there's a debate. Because the Hebrew word here in Isaiah where God says, "I will create a new heavens means is the same word as create in in uh, Genesis God created and so it means to make out of nothing and so commentators and theologians have debated well, is it that this entire creation will be obliterated and there will be nothing left and then God will start over fresh or as second Peter tells us and we'll see that in just a minute that these things that we see now as far as creation will melt with fervent heat, and then God will take whatever that leftover substance is and then recreate it into a new world. You know what, I think I'm just going to wait to see what God does, because I'm not going to try to guess about that. But we know whatever he does, it's going to be perfect and it's going to be brand new. But this heaven and earth that we live in is not permanent. It never was intended to be permanent. Even Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So Jesus predicted the end of the world, if you're paying attention to what he said. He said it's going to happen. And then as I mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter tells us in verses 10 through 13, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That is all this stuff that's coming at the end times that we've been studying through Revelation. And then he says, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. You know what? We're going to be present for that, and I think that's going to be the greatest fireworks show that you ever saw. The heavens shall melt with a great, or pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Just imagine the display of God's power, not just in destroying the earth, But as the entire universe basically explodes and burns up like a great fireworks show. Okay, that's going to be something to watch. So Peter goes on, he says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness, looking for and... And hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to the promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So Peter knew that God was going to do this. And he prophesied as well, even before John, that, the, that God would give us a new heaven and a new earth. Now, if you go all the way back into Genesis chapter 7, remember the great event that destroyed the world, right? The flood. Did it really destroy the world? It destroyed life. It killed all human beings, all the animals, except for the ones that were on the ark. But it didn't destroy the world. It just changed the world a little bit. So if you will, the flood was kind of God's reset for the world, remodeling project, if you will, in many ways. And then he started over, With Noah and his family and the two of every animal that he took on the ark, and from there we have all the animals that exist today and all of the all the nations that exist today. But the earth itself wasn't destroyed. So it's not going to be a flood. And God told us he's not ever going to destroy the world with a flood. This is going to be by fire. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a flood in your house, okay? We had a flood in our house when we lived in New Hampshire in our basement. We had just finished redoing the basement, and we had to tear everything out and redo it. Had to dry it all out. But the house wasn't destroyed. But have you ever had a fire in your house that destroyed the house? Okay, so when God destroys the, the, all of creation with fire, it's gone, obliterated. Obliterated. It's not something, well, we can fix that, all right? No, you can't fix that. God can fix it, and he's going to, but he's going to fix it by creating something brand new. And so all of this will be destroyed. And John tells us right here in verse 1 that he sees in a vision this new heaven and new earth which God will create after destroying the old one with fire. Now, that's between the lines, if you will, because John doesn't talk about the destroying with fire. He just says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and I'm seeing it in this vision. But all of the destruction has to happen beforehand in order for us to get to verse 1 of chapter 21. So God's given us that through Scripture. Knowing that this heaven and earth shall pass away then, Peter says, what manner of man ought ye to be? Seeing that we will eventually live in a new world characterized by righteousness and holiness, not selfishness and sin. So what kind of people are we to be now? That was Peter's question, considering all of these things. But that just reminds us, this is not permanent. Nothing about this earth, nothing about this life is permanent. The commentator Moffat puts it this way. He says, from the smoke and pain and heat, it's a relief to pass into the clear, clean atmosphere of the eternal morning where the breath of heaven is sweet And the vast city of God sparkles like a diamond in the radiance of his presence. You know, as wonderful as the millennial kingdom is going to be, and I'm not trying to downplay that at all, because we will be with Christ personally, ruling with him on this earth in a much improved world. But eternity, I think, is going to be even better than that. Because it's not limited. It's going to go on forever And it's not ever going to change. It's not going to get worse. Things are not going to break down. Our bodies are not going to get old. We're not going to feel tired. We're not going to even be hungry. It'll be perfect. And so we look forward to that. You know, it's like I said this morning, when you come out of the heat on a blistering day, you're sweaty, you're tired, you're hot, and you get that cold glass of water and the air conditioning, and you sit down, it's just like, oh, I needed that. Spiritually, That's what Revelation 21 is going to be. We're going to walk into that new heaven and new earth that God created, and we're going to be like, finally, I've been waiting for this literally my entire life. And then it won't ever change. So there's going to be a definite marked contrast between what existed before and what God will create for us in this new creation. Now, some commentators and theologians debate about this new heaven and new earth. Some will say that this newness is only a spiritual and moral change. But I think there's more evidence here that John gives us that he receives from God about this new heaven and new earth, that it's more than just a spiritual condition. Okay, we know spiritually it's going to be perfect because Jesus Christ will still be ruling over all of it. We will be with him personally through all of it. Okay, but look at the end of verse 1. He talks about the new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and first earth were passed away. There it is. That's his brief statement about all of the destruction. And then he says what? And there was no more sea. So here's a statement about the new earth, if you will, that gives us an indication. It's not just a spiritual improvement. This is a physical difference. The earth is going to be completely different than what we see today. Not just changed a little bit, not just remodeled. This is going to be a completely new earth. No more sea. Now, that's a huge difference because our earth that we live on today is about three-fourths water. And we need that water because everything in this creation, as far as life is concerned, is based on water. We can't live without water. Okay, in a survival situation, that's your number one priority. You have to have water. You will die within just a few days if you don't have water. So everything that we see around us is water-based. The new earth, no water. We won't need it. Now, even the millennial kingdom will depend on water. Obviously, Christ is there himself. But in Psalm 72, verse 8, talking about Christ's dominion, it says, He shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. So there will be seas and rivers and water in the millennial kingdom as we have today. And in fact, Ezekiel talks about the millennial temple and how the river of water will flow out from under the temple and it will water all the land around it. And from that millennial river, it will bring life to the land and bring fruit and the farms around it will bear fruit. So there's water that brings growth, literal water that brings growth, even in the millennial kingdom. Um Ezekiel 47 goes into detail about that. And if you look at other millennial prophecies, there's many of the prophecies that talk about rivers and about the sea. So water will exist in the millennial kingdom. Maybe not to the same degree that we have now. Maybe not to uh, the depth of how much we depend on it because we'll have Christ. But water will still be a basis of life in the millennial kingdom. Remember, there will be human beings and humanly, they won't be changed. They're still human beings. They still need water. And so Christ will provide that physical water. In the new hearth, there is no water. There is no sea because we don't need it. Now, the question is, why is there no sea? Why do we not need it? Well, I want to give you several instances, and, and it's looking through Scripture and looking through actually the Jewish way of understanding creation and prophecy But to the Jewish mind, the sea is a place of separation and evil. And remember, this is a Jew, John, the disciple, writing this book, receiving this vision. And as we've seen, as we've gone through Revelation, there's many Jewish perspectives that come uh, come out very clearly to help us understand what these things are talking about. So the Jews looked as look at the sea as a place of separation and evil. In fact, already in the book of Revelation, we've seen that the beast, the symbolism of the beast, is that he rises up out of what? Out of the sea. So the sea is a place of evil. It's a source of evil. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 20, it says, The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. So the sea is compared to wicked people. And all of the turmoil that they cause, the sin that they cause, is like the waves of the sea stirring up all that silt and mud. So the sea is associated there with heathen. Now in the new heaven and new earth, there's no sin. So we won't have that analogy. In Psalm 89, verse 9, the sea represents the opponents of the Lord that must be conquered. And then in Jeremiah, the sea represents God's judgment. uh, I'm sorry, in Jeremiah 51, verse 42, the sea has come upon Babylon. She is covered with a multitude of waves thereof. So there's not a, a lot of good references to the sea in Scripture. Remember when Jonah was running from God, where'd he go? He got on a ship, tried to go to the farthest point away from where he was supposed to go as possible, and while he was in the boat, God sent the storm. And where was Jonah cast? Into the sea, a symbol of God's judgment in his life, a symbol of God's chastisement. And then he was swallowed up by the fish, where he remained for three days, and eventually the fish spat him out on the shore, and then he changed his attitude. Okay? But the sea has a lot of negative connotations. There's a lot of association with sin in Scripture. And so commentators basically and theologians have said, God wants to remove that reference to sin. We, we we don't need a reminder of sin. It's going to be a perfect kingdom. Why do we need to go back there? So that part of it, as far as the symbolism, will be gone. In fact, commentator Robert Thomas says this, he summarizes in this way, the sea represents a principle of disorder, violence, or unrest that marks the old creation, It is not that the sea in itself is evil, but that its aspect is one of hostility to mankind. Then he goes on to say the sea is the first of seven evils that John says here in Revelation 21 will no longer exist. He mentions the sea in verse 1, and then as you continue to read the other evils, if you will, that will not exist, there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more weeping, no more pain, no more curse of sin, and no more night. All of those will be done away with in the glory that God brings to the new earth and a new heaven in himself. Now, the absence of the sea on earth also demonstrates not just a spiritual symbolism, but a physical change. And the physical change is that the entire nature and essence of life will be different. As I mentioned, every living thing now depends on water to survive. What did Jesus tell the woman at the well in John chapter 4? He said he asked her for a drink, and then they had this conversation, and they got into this conversation about water, and then Jesus said, well, if you ask me for the water that I can give you, you'll never thirst again. He said, I can give you living water. In eternity, the only water we will need is Jesus Christ. He is the living water. We won't need water because all of our existence, all of our substance, everything that we are, everything that we need will be found in Him. Now, it's not that it's not that way now. It's from Him that God has given us all of the things that we need. But in in the eternal kingdom, we won't need water. We only need Jesus Christ. And so the Bible tells us right here, John says, there's no more sea. And in fact, in Revelation 22, There's a river of life that flows out from the throne of God, but it's not a river that we need to be able to drink from physically. And so Jesus will be all the water that we need because he is the living water. Now, as we read and study about this new heaven and new earth here in Revelation 21, I mean, there's lots of details that we're going to get as we go through this chapter. But we should get excited, okay? I, I, I'm excited to be at Revelation chapter 21 because this is the ultimate goal of what we're looking forward to as believers. We shouldn't be, you know, looking at this earth and saying, oh, you know, it's going to get better. No, it's not going to get better, folks. This is just going to get worse. And it, it has to get worse before it gets better. And then God is going to destroy it all. And then we have the best that is there is. And that, that's what we look forward to. And so we should be excited about this because this is our destiny. This is where we are going to spend eternity in this newly created world, the newly created universe that God is going to give us free from sin, free from flaws, free from degeneration, free from death, free from all that is bad. And this is our ultimate goal. If you're a believer, I get excited. I mean, I am excited about... Revelation chapter 21, it's not because, wow, we're almost done with the book, okay? It's, wow, when we finally get here, we're finally done with this life and this world. And then it'll all be gone. And then there's nothing but good to come. And it's all found in Jesus Christ. It's not going to be a new kingdom in this new heaven and earth, because Jesus' kingdom is an eternal kingdom. It's not like Jesus rules for a thousand years, then he doesn't get to be king anymore, okay? Jesus will rule on this earth for a thousand years, but he will continue to rule the new heaven and new earth because it's an eternal kingdom. And so his authority, his place doesn't change at all. He doesn't change. And in fact, we'll see as we get to the end of these chapters, these last two chapters, we see the statement, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever, He will not change. And so we have that to look forward to as believers, and that should get us excited. In fact, God's people should be more excited about what we read in this chapter of Revelation than about anything else that this present world has to offer. This is our goal. What you see around you, what you have at home, what you have as far as your cars, your house, even your friends, the the enjoyment you get out of this life is nothing compared to what we are going to experience when we get to this eternal kingdom with a new heaven and a new earth. Nothing will ever go wrong. No one will ever sin. No one will ever hurt your feelings because you'll be perfect. And by the way, them hurting your feelings is not necessarily their fault. Okay, it's because we are flawed. And many times we take things the wrong way because we have the wrong attitude. That will never happen in this eternal kingdom. And so we should be excited about that. And so as we close, I want to just give you a list of, of, I'm not going to give it to you, but in Hebrews chapter 11, is what we call the hall of faith. It lists a whole bunch of people, Old Testament and some New Testament saints, some named, some unnamed, that were looking for what we read in Revelation chapter 21. Okay? And it says, These all died, in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promise. They never saw this. In fact, they never got to even read this, because this had not been given by God to mankind while they were alive. And so they didn't even know the details about what they were hoping for, like we do. But it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Why? Because they understood as followers of the Lord, this is not our home. We're pilgrims. We're just temporary travelers. We have to get through this to get to what is really our home. That's what these people did. These believers in, in Hebrews chapter 11, they looked forward to Revelation chapter 21, even though they didn't have it yet. Verse 14, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. In other words, if they were more concerned about the physical world they lived in and this physical life, more than what was to come from the blessed hand of God in eternity, then they would have been satisfied with what we have here or what they had here. There weren't. And we shouldn't be either. We should not, and I'm not saying this in a wrong way, but we should not be content with this world because this is not our home. And God is going to destroy it. And Hebrews chapter 11 goes on in verse 16 but now they desire a better country that is an heavenly country. The final goal, folks. That's what should excite us. That's what we should be looking forward to. And it says, because they look for that better country, the end of verse 16, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. God is going to welcome all true believers into that new world and new heaven and the new Jerusalem that we see in verse 2. And he won't be ashamed to be called our God. Why? Because these people in Hebrews chapter 11 lived like the world was not their home. They lived with eternity in mind. They lived looking forward to what they were going to receive from the Lord. And so they were never satisfied with the things of the world. The only reason why professing believers would not be excited about this new heavenly country, this new heaven and earth that you read about in Revelation 21, as these saints in Hebrews 11 were, is probably because they're not really headed there. Because they're not really saved. Now, I know you, you may see, you might think, well, he has this message a lot. There are a lot of people who think they're saved and they're not saved and, you know, why discourage people? It's not me, folks. This message is repeated over and over and over in scripture. We have to be absolutely sure that we have submitted ourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ, to the power of his blood to cleanse us from our sin, to take him as our savior, if we have any hope of ever getting to Revelation chapter 21. And nobody can do it for you. If we are so in love with this world that we're not excited about the world to come, what does that say about where our desires lie? 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 and 17 says this, Love not the world. Neither are the things that are in the world. If any man loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's somebody who's not saved. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And verse 17 goes right along with the destruction and recreation. It says, and the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. See, you will experience the destiny of the world that you attach yourself to. If you attach yourself to the heavenly goal, to this new world with Jesus Christ forever, then you will be part of that new world. But if we attach ourselves to this world, then we will experience the same fate as this world, in fire and judgment. We won't be destroyed as people, though, annihilated. We will just burn forever in hell. Warren Wearsby said it this way, if heaven is your destination, then heaven will be your motivation. If you are truly looking forward to the life that is to come in Christ Jesus, then that should be what motivates us in how we live now. The world has nothing for us. This world has nothing for us except an opportunity to bring the gospel of Christ so that more people can experience the world to come. That's where our hope is. That's the thing that we should be looking forward to. And so I'm going to ask you as we close this question. Are you excited about this new eternal home that God has promised to create for us? And it is for us. God doesn't need a new world. We do. Are you excited about it? If not, then maybe it's time to examine where your true loyalty and love lie. Let's pray. Father, thank you again that you've taught us from your word. Thank you that you've given us a hope, not just of eternal life, but we have a hope of a new world, a new earth, a new heaven that you're going to create as perfect, that we can rejoice forever, that we can thank you forever in, that we can worship Jesus Christ as our King and Lord forever, without the interference of sin, without the destruction and corruption of Satan. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be excited about what's to come, to be motivated by that, to the point where we see that other people are not going to get there, that we would have compassion on them, that we would As Jude tells us, literally drag them out of the fire with the truth so that they can be in this new world as well. But Lord, help us to hold on to that hope because it's from you. It is your truth, it is absolute, and we trust you to do what you're going to say. And so Lord, we thank you for the future that we have, for the things that we can look forward to as you've taught us today. And so comfort us with these words. Encourage us with these words today and help us to be diligent in fulfilling your calling for us while we are pilgrims on this world. Thank you again for this time. And Lord, we just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.